And as promised, we've got Dr. Arno Smith with us, who is uh, a surgeon. And um, personally, I have met with him, and he has looked after my knees. Um, I do think that I should have had my knees done when I was uh, uh, 60 years old, but I just got them done recently. But I must say that I've had a great experience with Dr. Arno Smith. I needed to do this uh, opening, Dr. Smith, because I was told by somebody that if I had had my knees operated on when I was 60, which would have meant 17 years ago, would I have the surgery as successful as it is now? It's a, that is a very common question. And it is quite common for people to say, why don't you do the surgery now? I'm still pretty young, pretty healthy. If everything goes well, I'm going to have a very long kind of period of benefit from it. I think it's better to do it sooner rather than later. Hmm. And I do understand all of that thinking. On the other hand, especially for knees, there is a very sobering thought. And if you really think about it carefully, and I'll explain it, that will make you think that maybe you should have it later rather than sooner. And the bottom line is that in most places of the world, when you ask people after they have the knee replacement how they feel about it, somewhere between 80 and 90% of people say that they're really, really happy and they're very pleased that the doctor did this operation. And that's, why, of course, why we do these operations. But there is about, in Canada, about 10%. In the U.S., about 15% of people who, if you ask them a year after the operation how they feel about it, they actually, they're not all that satisfied. And not because there was a particular complication or, or they didn't comply or they didn't cooperate with their rehabilitation. It just doesn't feel right. And when you think about it, at least the way I see it, really, it, there's a lot of attention has gone into this issue. How come that so many people feel great after this and a certain amount, 10, 15 percent, not a small percentage, do not feel great? And we go to meetings where we talk about these things. There's always a section that is labeled something like looks good, feels bad. And everybody who is at the conference will go there to try and understand how, how that all comes about. So the way I look at it is, if you were meant to have a metal and plastic knee, you would have been born that way. So <laughs> this is really quite, quite a mir miraculous thing that when things wear out, they can use a relatively crude device, which is, you know, it's titanium and it's all engineered and it's all, of course, a lot of attention is given to it. But complete, com compared to the human knee, it's a relatively crude device. So the fact that so many people do well with that is to me a bit of a miracle still, even after years of doing this operation. So if you keep all to say that I tell people, and I think I may have spoken you know, to you as well about that, is these operations are good once you must have them. And so we try really for, in a serious manner, to have people who have relatively early arthritis to keep them active by doing something about their pain management, about rehabilitation, about activity modification, strengthening, you know, weight control, all of those type of things. And if you and people who understand that and buy into that, for many many of them, they feel very good, are very satisfied with their function quite often for a number of years before they realize that it's not good enough. And at that time, you should have your knee replacement. So. It's not a matter of number. It's not a matter of how old you are. It's a matter of 
how are you doing? Are you feeling okay about things? Is your knee or your hip or your ankle or your shoulder or whatever it is for that matter? Is it really interfering with your ability to have a good life? And are the, me the measures that we can offer that are short of surgery, are they no longer effective? If that comes to me, that point comes to me, then that's the time to consider, seriously consider, to have a joint replacement. So I wouldn't say that by and large people should have this early. I think you should have it when needed, no later, but also not earlier. Well, that's a, that's a very good answer because I was going to ask you if I had done it 17 years ago, would the surgery method would have been the same? Uh, so your answer probably would be no, because there has been so much advancement in the past 17 years that what you did 17 years ago, um, probably you don't do uh, anymore now as far as surgery is concerned. There is an element of that, but the truth of the matter is that both for hips and knees, the technology has been very mature for a long time. So mm. there are still, but I have patients in my practice who I did surgery on 20 years ago who are still going strong. And, but there's another component. So there is some, the main improvement I would say in the last five or even 10 years has been not so much what, what is used for the operation but more how it is done. We have much better pain management. There's a lot less blood loss. We understand better how to get people back on their feet and get them back, back going than before. So those have, the main, those have been the main advances in the last number of years. And there's still being advances being made. There's a lot of people working on trying to improve things further, but there is not a lot of truly fundamental change going on it is more improving what we got that brings me to uh, another joint in the body um, that is your hips now we uh, last week talked about um, week prior to that we talked about knees then we talked about the shoulder uh, and you just alluded to the fact that a lot of advancement has been made in knee and in hip replacements can we talk a little bit about hips when and how do hips go out of whack? Okay, so so it used to be that you, it was. I would say it's fair to say that as an orthopedic doctor, you would see about an equal number of people with very bad hips compared to very bad knees. Hmm. And it used to be that hip replacements and knee replacements were done in more or less equal numbers. However, at the current time, over the last 10 years, about twice as many knee replacements are done as hip replacements. So hips do not, at the present time, wear out at the same, to the same, at the same percentage of people compared to knees. We do a lot more knee replacements than hip replacements. And that is not just in Canada, that's all over the, the over the over the world where they keep track of these type of things. So when you do have a hip that wears out and becomes arthritic, the impact of that on your well-being, on your ability to do things, tends to be more profound than if your knee wears out to the same degree. So by and large, people who have severe hip arthritis. They tend to be very happy with their hip replacement when it comes to that. 
same same considerations as I just talked about before. You do not do the hip replacement until absolutely necessary, until injections do not work anymore, until you have exhausted doing physiotherapy or being on the bicycle or whatever it is that you're trying to do. But once it comes to hip replacement surgery, the percentage of people that's really happy with it tends to be higher than for knee replacement. So the impact of an arthritic worn-out hip tends to be more profound. And um, that's the way I, I understand it. And I think many of my colleagues would feel the same. Now, talking about the hip, I can understand uh, knees because there are there is a socket there that sort of wears out because we walk or we get hurt. With the hip um, issue, what goes wrong there? I mean, which part of the hip is the one that is most common that you need to replace? And which part is it that you are surprised that you have to replace? Okay, so I'll, I'll try and answer this maybe slightly different than you asked me. Okay. So the moving part of the hip, which is the ball and socket, hmm. they wear in tandem together. So if one wears, the other one wears, they wear against each other. And so when there is no more smooth cartilage inside the hip joint and it is bone grinding against bone, people have severe pain, they get stiffness. Quite often, the first thing they notice, they have trouble getting to the socks, to the socks and shoes. It's hard to bend down. Then it becomes, they get a groin pain. Oftentimes, athletes think they have a groin pull. And then it's a very slow onset for most people. And then at some point, they realize there's something else going on than a groin pull or a bit of stiffness from exercise. And so when it all starts to happen, and it is truly a worn-out ball in the socket, both parts are worn out. And when you get in there to have a look at it, there is no more cartilage on the ball, and there is no more cartilage in the socket, and you have to replace both sides. But there's another source of hip pain that's also very common, particularly you know, when we get all a little bit older, and that is pain that comes from the hip area, but is actually not from the hip joint. And it has to do with the tendons around the hip. Typically, that pain is felt more on the side, maybe sometimes a little bit to the back where the, you know, where the buttock is. And that pain tends to be related to inflammation and wear and tear of the tendons. And that condition is, very, is known under various names. Some people say it's bursitis, and that's true because the little fluid sac, which is the bursa, that's in that area to help with friction, gets inflamed. Some people call it tendonitis. That's true, too, because the tendon is inflamed, too. And there's different, some people call it piriformis syndrome, which is a muscle that runs right behind, behind the hip. And when everything is inflamed, the way I understand it, it gets very tight and it pushes on the sciatic nerve and gives you pain going down down your leg, perhaps. Currently, the best way to, the name to describe this is called, it's called deep gluteal pain syndrome, which really in normal language would mean pain deep in the buttock. And it really uh, signifies that we don't really know what structure is the main, the main cause of that pain, but it's a very common source of pain. And that is not treated normally with surgery. That is treated with reducing the inflammation, with an injection perhaps, with anti-inflammatories perhaps, with ice perhaps, 
with a reduction of the activity, perhaps. And once, once the tendon is no longer severely inflamed, then there is an element of stretching and strengthening to stimulate the healing response in those tendons. And that is a very common situation. And for some people, that pain becomes so severe that they do not want to live anymore. They can't sleep, they can sit, they, they have really no way to get around. So it is not only hip arthritis that can be a really difficult problem. It can also be this tendonitis around the hip, this deep gluteal pain syndrome, that for many people who do not have arthritis can give them great trouble, especially, you know, when it becomes severe and you can't sleep anymore. So those are the two main kind of conditions that people encounter a little bit later in life or kind of other hip conditions that you perhaps get as a younger individual in sports should be overused. There's a lot of things that, that are being talked about in regard to the hip joint, but it all boils down to me when people get into their 50s it tends to boil down to wear and tear of the joint and or sometimes it happens at the same time wear and tear of the tendons around the hip joint and both of these conditions can be very difficult we're talking to dr arno smith and we're talking about uh, the hip and uh, replacement dr smith short commercial break and I want to come back and ask you the signs and the surgery that you do. Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Spice Radio and Radio Ranjim. Dr. Anu Smith, so Dr. Smith, I wanted to ask you, what are the percentage of people you mentioned as far as knees are concerned, um, the percentage of happy and unhappy people? Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the hip as well. So for the hip, I would say the percentage of people that are happy is higher than for the knee. But there is, an, uh, there is a wrinkle to that. Hmm. So I find, so there are different ways to do a hip replacement, and we can talk about it at some point. But by and large, although they have all different kind of uh, advantages and disadvantages, by the time you come to about one year after the surgery, you cannot really tell the difference between how that operation was done So, as a group. So people are very happy about the elimination of the pain that they had. And hip replacement surgery is very reliable for that. But So that is a great source of satisfaction. But it's a little bit less reliable, and certainly compared to the knee, at least in my assessment, Restoring the normal mechanics of the hip is a little bit less predictable than in the knee. And sometimes people feel that the leg is a little bit longer. And that has to do with the fact that the new hip joint does not have a check range between the ball and the socket to keep it again in place. So when you do the surgery, you have to make sure that that hip is stable. And we have ways of doing that by putting tension on the muscles. And if the, you need a little bit more tension to make sure that the hip doesn't pop out of socket, then the leg becomes a little bit longer because it's under a 45-degree angle. What goes out, goes down. So some people find that that is a bother that they did not expect. Even most surgeons would explain that in great detail ahead of time. Most people get used to it. It used to be said if it is less than half an inch, you would get used to it. That's probably not true. 
If it's less than a quarter inch, many people will get used to it. So that is one thing. That's one of the mechanical aspects. Some people don't get enough strength back in their hip. They're not quite happy because they don't have the walking ability that they would like. They don't have the supporting ability that they would like because their muscles never really bounce back. And some of the ways we do these hip operations kind of have as a side effect that the muscles become weaker. That is kind of offset by safety concerns, less risk of, of uh, blood loss, less risk of dislocation, popping out of place, less risk of nerve injury compared to some of the other approaches, the other ways of doing things. So there is different angles to that. The mechanics of a hip replacement, they are not, after the hip replacement, are not as predictable as after a knee replacement. I think that would be fair to say. So there are two angles to being satisfied. Most people are very satisfied about how the pain has gone away. But not everybody is satisfied about what they can do with that hip. And I would say that sits at about a 90-10 split as well. I would say there's probably 99% satisfaction about the pain, but there is a 90% satisfaction about the ability to do things with that hip as you had hoped. In the knee, there is not as much concern about what you can do with that knee. On occasion, it becomes it doesn't get enough range of motion, and of course, that is a concern. But it is, I think it is fair to say that after a hip replacement, some people feel disappointed in what they can do with the hip. They're satisfied there is no pain, but it is not as functional as they had hoped. Would you think that it's because uh, they're, that they're not satisfied because their personal life is not satisfying anymore because their muscles get a little weaker? Yeah, I don't think that is the biggest factor. I think the, the, it is a combination of things. I don't really have a good answer, and I would be also a little cautious to express my own opinion on this because a lot of people have looked at this in a very controlled manner, in a very systematic manner, and it is actually not fully understood why some people feel really good and others not so good. If you look at, let's say, this goes for knees as well. If you look at a group that is really satisfied with what they have and there's the other group that is only so, so satisfied, if you start looking at how many people, let's say for the hip, have a longer leg, how many people have a leg that's the same length, how many people have had you know, some other identifiable kind of factors, there's no difference or not very much. So it is actually hard to understand why some people can deal with how a prosthesis feels better than others. And I don't really have an answer for it. It's one of those things that you have to accept as not being fully understood. You have to deal with this badly arthritic joint because people have so much pain they can't function. You know that the majority of them will do well. And then there is, I tell everybody that there is about 10% both for hips and knees that are not totally satisfied. Are there? Now, I do, mm -hmm. I do about I do 100 or maybe some years a bit more of these operations a year. So it stands to reason that somewhere, so, somewhere around a dozen patients a year at one year are not fully satisfied. Now, I don't say that those people don't end up reasonably good. With some time, attention to detail, persistence, most of these people eventually drift into a situation where they're accepting at least of their situation. And many of them in the end realize that they're better off than they were before the surgery. But it takes them a lot longer than they had anticipated or that 
the group, you know, the, the majority of people who go through this procedure would have experience. So I'm not trying to say that if 10% of people at one year are only so, so satisfied that they remain like that for the entirety of their life. Many of them become accepting of the situation and many of them at some point realize that they actually try to be better off than they were before the operation. And I think that depends on people's perception as well, their expectations as well, and their lifestyle too, to a certain extent. There is, there is uh, some work that comes from the field of psychology. Yes. Where there is, I'm not claiming to be an expert in psychology. I really am not. <laughs> but, but there are formal ways to look at how people's personality is. And we see in uh, some of these meetings and some of our literature, we see certain characteristics that are in a person's personality predisposed to not being all that happy. That has to do with perhaps not being always a very optimistic person. Mm. It has to do with maybe when something happens to you, to see it worse than it actually turns out to be. And people who have those type of characteristics tend to have more difficulty with these very invasive procedures. There are people who have a pre-existing pain, pain, and, uh, pain disorder, typically a pain amplification disorder. So, and I explain it to people like that. I say, if you are in a situation where a certain thing that for most people would be moderate pain, for you is severe pain, as a group of people who have that, you're going to have more difficulty accepting your new prosthesis. And there are, there are a number of identifiable categories. The issue with that is you cannot really use any of that to tell people you cannot have your operation because they still have this underlying problem that needs management. And from once you get to the point you can't really walk anymore, even if you're at a higher risk of a certain, a certain you know, undesirable kind of outcome, most of the time the prospect of getting improvement is still such that you would go for that procedure, especially if there's nothing else. So it is not something that you, as a surgeon can say, or as, as a system, as a healthcare system can say, people like, you know, who have these characteristics should be excluded from this operation. That would be the wrong way to go. So, and there's been a lot, of, a lot of thought given to these type of things. And I think by and large, you have to educate people. You have to tell them how you see they fit into the big scheme of things. Regardless, at some point, for many people, there is no other choice than to go in that direction. And that's a, a very good answer to the question that I have asked. And I wanted to ask you the last question on this particular topic. Uh, after surgery, um, should they be concerned about continuing with their physiotherapy, or can they can they manage? the way they used to manage prior to getting the surgery done, not going to a physiotherapist at all? So there's a few ways to, to kind of answer this. So first and foremost, physiotherapy for many people is a very reassuring way of getting their bearings after surgery. There's a knowledgeable person who is helping you to do the right things, do the exercises you need to do, to explain how you feel, how it, it's a very reassuring way of doing it. Very quickly after the surgery, the role of the physiotherapist becomes not so much the provider of physical treatment modalities, but it becomes the role of a knowledgeable coach, 
to tell people what exercises, what activities they should pursue. And as a logical extension of that way of looking at it, exercise to do for the next week or for the next two weeks. Is it important to do really diligent physical activity after this type of surgery? The answer is yes. And the best way to do that is to exercise. Now, of course, exercise has all kinds of other benefits for your mental health, for your cardiovascular health, manage to help with management of diabetes if that's applicable. What kind of reasons is exercise very important? But to the joint replacements, uh, exercise is very critical. Also, if I may just track a little bit prior to surgery, when you have when you have a joint, hip or knee or ankle or shoulder, or for that matter, any joint really, that is starting to become worn out. The logical thing initially would say, well, let's use it less and it will not wear as fast. And people may choose to do modify their activities in such a way that they don't use it very much. And that is also not beneficial because these joints, even though they're wearing out, they still need to be stimulated to maintain what they have. So exercise, by and large, is a really important part of maintaining a healthy musculoskeletal system. Fantastic. So I thank you very much for taking time and talking to us. Of course. It's always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.